Well, thank you again for joining us this evening to, in the house of the Lord on this um, night. And you know, many people are anticipating a football game. I forget what it's called. Um, <laughs> but something that's supposed to be really great. And, um, but, um, and you know, nothing's wrong with that, but, um, lots of these players, they devote their whole lives to that sport, and then when they leave, they don't know what to do. They don't, they, that was their life, and Jesus gives us hope and meaning far beyond anything this world can offer, and we rejoice that, um, we have that together. And so as we continue tonight uh, through our series that we've been going through on the <laughs> doctrine of Scripture, um, looking forward to what God has for us. So uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your kindness to us and your love for us. And thank you again for another opportunity and privilege to gather together, together as the body of Christ to hear from you. And um, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead. We thank you for our hope of eternal life. We thank you for your unchanging word, which you have given as a great gift to us. We thank you that every word in it is true, that we can bank our life, our souls, our eternity on your promises and we ask tonight and every night every day lord as we open your word that you would uh, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law meet with us tonight lord we pray in jesus name amen amen well like i said we're continuing our series through the doctrine of scripture so so far we've talked about the authority of scripture and we've talked about the inerrancy of Scripture. Now I want to talk about uh, a couple of other things. Um, and so to introduce that, you know, this past year was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, Halloween, otherwise known as Reformation Day, um, where, uh, you know, we as, we're, as Baptists, we are Protestants. That is, we're still protesting uh, some of the the teachings and teaching and doctrines of the of the Catholic Church, and um, if you're familiar with what was going on, especially during Martin Luther's day, you would understand why he protested. Uh, he didn't intend to start a Reformation. Uh, he just, uh, well, by Reformation, he really wanted to reform the church, not to. Uh, start a whole movement, but that's, in, that's what ended up happening. But one of the things that the Catholic Church was doing at the time was they actually forbade the translation of the scriptures into the common language. They believed that the common man basically could not be trusted with the word of God. If we gave them access to the scriptures in their own common language, that they would distort, they would misinterpret it and uh, ruined everything, more or less. So for them, uh, the best, the the way that the the way that the scriptures, that the truth of God had to be mediated, was wholly 
by the church. If they wanted to know God, they had to come to the church. They had to partake of the sacraments, um, which, of course, lots of times the, the masses were said in Latin, which the people couldn't understand anyways. And so there was a lot of stuff uh, going on there. And, of course, we know that some of those things aren't totally wrong in, what, in the sense that what I, is that people do, of course, misinterpret the scriptures and people do of course misinterpret them in all kinds of ways starting cults and things like uh, that and it's true that the bible at times is hard to understand (laughs) we all know we've read parts of the bible and we're like what in the world does that mean in fact in second peter chapter three the apostle peter talks about the writings of paul and he says there are some things in them hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructions as they do the other scriptures. And so we do know that there's some things in the, in the Bible that are difficult to understand. Nevertheless, we have, as Protestants especially, maintained a doctrine of what we call the clarity of the scripture. The clarity of the scripture. And so in what ways, then, is the Bible clear and understandable to all? We're going to talk about that in a minute. And we're also tonight going to talk about the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. So, again, Catholics, for example, hold the tradition of the church to be uh, equal authority with the Scripture. But, of course, if you understand how it works, the Catholic tradition basically is the body of Catholic teaching outside the Bible which they use to then interpret the Bible. And so since Catholic tradition is the lens through which they then interpret the Bible, in function, even though they say it's equal, in function, then the the tradition supersedes the Scripture. And um, essentially, if that's true, then the Bible is not necessary, per se, but the church and its body of teaching as the, medi- the mediator of the, of the teaching of Christ is, is necessary. But we're gonna, I'm going to argue tonight that the Scripture is necessary in many ways. Okay, so the clarity of Scripture and the necessity of Scripture. So first, the clarity. Wayne Grudem defines clarity like this. The clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who will read it and seek, read it seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. Um, the, the, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith describes it like this. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in them. This was written in the 1600s, so that's why it sounds like this. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet, those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. Okay, what is that saying? It's basically saying this. Anybody who comes to the Bible with a heart that's willing to believe it and willing to obey it, if you come to the Bible and read it with that kind of heart and use ordinary means such as uh, 
you know, critical reading skills that you learned in school and, and learning from others and asking questions and things like that, you can, in fact, know what the Bible says and not have to be concerned that only scholars can figure it out. It is clear, and the Bible has, and God has written it and given it in such a way that if you put effort into it like you do anything else, you can and will understand it, and God will give you light and give you sight. The Bible, and the Bible itself testifies that it's written in this sort of way. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, popular passage, Moses writes, he says, These words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, God gave the law to Israel and he understood that he gave it to them in such a way that every person could understand it. Because every person of Israel had a responsibility to talk about it when they rose and to live it out when they when they went about their lives and to teach it to their children. In other words, in other words, it was written in such a way that every man was responsible and accountable for knowing its contents. Even children whom parents were commanded to teach it to. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, 130 says, the, unfo- the unfolding of your word gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. Um, now, if you're a little bit older, you understand the way he's using the word simple here. You know, it, we don't really use it that much like that anymore. But, you know, some time ago, if someone called you simple, they were not giving you a compliment. <laughs> okay. Um, you're not very smart. You're not very bright. You're not picking up what I'm trying to hand to you. You're not grabbing what I'm trying to give to you. Okay, you're simple. But what the Bible is saying is that the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. In other words, even if otherwise humanly speaking, you may be what people call simple, if you read God's word, you'll become wise. If you take this book and you heed its teachings and you read it and study it and apply your heart and mind to learn what it says, the Bible says, uh, God says, I will make you wise. That's what the Word of God can do. And that speaks to its clarity, how it can be grasped and understood by any of us who will apply ourselves to read it. Jesus, on many... uh, occasions, and one of them I noticed was in our daily reading, for our daily reading today. He, when people would question him about things, his response oftentimes to them would be, have you not read? Quote the scripture. Have you never read? Quote the scripture. You are wrong, he told the Sadducees, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, Jesus understood and believed that the scriptures were clear, they were understandable, and that the Jews of his day should have understood them, should have read them and understood what was happening and who Jesus was. Um, and if, But in Wayne Grudem's definition, and as I've mentioned already, 
he notes a little thing at the end. He says the, uh, the, the scriptures are able to be understood by all who will read it, seeking God's help, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. In other words, and, and I've talked about this before, but there are moral and spiritual qualities necessary for understanding the scripture. The Bible teaches this pretty plainly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In John chapter 7, verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words... I don't know how to describe it. Unless you are willing to believe and obey it, you can't understand it. That's just the way there is. That's just the way it is. There's no other way around it. You can't see it unless you want to see it. And the Bible says, this is it's clear. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them to see the light of the knowledge, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinded by the God of this world. And so what are we, one of the things, when we pray for our, our friends and our loved ones whom we care about who don't know the Lord, what are we praying? We're praying, God, give them light. God, give them sight. We all know this is true. It's all been in our own experience. If, if you, um, I mean, like me, I was raised in a, in a small town. I feel like I have an old soul for a young man. I was raised in a small Methodist church, and... I, read, I grew up going to church, I read the Bible, and to be honest, I didn't understand a lot of it. <clears throat> but there are times when you, you read the Bible and you don't get it, you don't understand it, and then one day you read the Bible, and the light comes on. It's just there. It, just, it, was, you did, it wasn't there before, but now it's there. You didn't see it before, but now you see it. The light comes on. That's the Holy Spirit. Helping you see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so, because of the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, that means that we, as God's people, have an obligation upon us to know His Word. The Jews of Jesus' day, they didn't have an excuse. They should have known, and they didn't know. And we, especially we who come to church week in and week out, we don't not want to stand in front of Christ and, 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 and begin to give excuses for our sin. And he said, did you not read? Have you not read? Consider Jesus' parable, which you know. Jesus told a parable about a master, and, um, and he talks about the servants of the master, and he says the, the servants who knew the will of the master, but did not keep the master's will, will, will receive a severe beating. And those who, uh, those who did not know the master's will, but did what deserve a, a, a beating, will receive a light beating. 
And then Jesus says, of whom much is given, much is required. And so we, of all people, have a a great responsibility to know God's word. The danger, of course, is that we become so familiar with the scriptures and so familiar with our, you know, church life, which nothing's wrong with those things, but we become so familiar that we actually fail to do what God has written. That's exactly what happened to the Jews in Jesus' day. The, the Pharisees had developed all these traditions that, that were not part of God's commands and were not part of his law, but they assumed that because it's the way they've always done it, that if, I, if I'm doing these things, then I must be accurately following God. And Jesus comes back and says, look, you are explicitly rejecting the command of God to follow your tradition. And so the danger is that we become so familiar that we mistake our tradition for the word of God or anything else. And another thing that we can draw from this is that biblical knowledge and understanding isn't just for the pastor or the scholar. It's for everyone. It's for you. You know, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I do have the best job in the world because I get to study the Bible for a living. I don't take that for granted. Okay, and so I do, I do, you should expect me to come and because of the time and, uh, and opportunities that I have to, to be able to teach things that you wouldn't necessarily have access to because you've you got other things going on. But at the same time, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about a pastor or a scholar in general. The, the word of God is clear to all who will apply their hearts and minds to it. So if you will take this book and devote yourself to it, you can indeed. God will illuminate. If, if you say, God give me light, God give me sight, I will hear and believe and obey what you tell me. He will speak to you. There's no doubt. He will through his word. You can feast on the bread of life for yourself. We can't, we can't uh, pawn off this responsibility that we have to know God's word onto the experts. But we must Apply it to our own hearts and lives because God has given it to us in such a way that we can grasp it and know it. So that is the clarity of Scripture. Next, the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. Grudem says the necessity of Scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will. But... It is not necessary for knowing that God exists or for knowing, that, uh, knowing something about God's character and moral laws. So, the first thing is that, that the Bible is necessary for is that uh, the Bible is necessary for salvation. The Bible is necessary for salvation. How is that the case? Well, the Bible is the authoritative record, the New Testament in particular, is the authoritative record written by eyewitnesses or close associates of those eyewitnesses who claimed to see the risen Lord and had firsthand access to Jesus Christ as he taught of the kingdom of God and the gospel and the new covenant that he was bringing in to the world uh, and the, the plans for salvation of the Gentiles and the ingathering of, the peop- of all the redeemed from all nations. And so the, the New Testament is the authoritative record from those men. 
And we, being 2,000 years removed, the only act, direct access that we have to the teaching of Christ and to the good news of the gospel is contained in the Bible. So, of course, it is necessary for salvation. And the Bible is clear. Since the Bible is necessary for knowledge of the gospel, that means the Bible is necessary for salvation because knowledge of the gospel is necessary for salvation. The Bible is clear. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what am I saying? Well, I'm not saying exactly that you must read the Bible to be saved, but what I'm saying is that someone, either through the written word or proclaims to you the contents of the Bible in such a way that you receive it, accept it, believe it. And then you will be saved. But you must have knowledge of the gospel to be saved. And now, sometimes when we talk about this, it raises the discussion, um, and maybe you've wondered about this, of how Old Testament saints were saved without explicit knowledge of Christ because... I mean, he hadn't come yet. And I think the best answer to that question is that we must understand that the Bible given to us um, was written in such a way uh, that it gives progressive revelation. It's, it, is, it is progressive revelation. That is, God, in his wisdom, wrote the Bible in such a way that in every stage of redemptive history... He gives that age and that generation of people the, the knowledge of himself that he requires them to have and that he holds them accountable to. So when God and, uh, made Adam and Eve and they sinned against him, he gave them a promise. There will be a descendant of woman and he will crush the head of the snake. And he, he will bruise his head, and, and the snake shall bruise his heel. What, was that? what is that? That's called the proto-euangelion. It's the, the first gospel. It is, and that's the gospel message. God was telling Adam and Eve a gospel message. A man one day will come who will undo the works of the devil. And if Adam and Eve, and I believe they did, believed that word from God, they were saved. Why? Because they believed God's word that they had at that time. So... So all throughout redemptive history. So you have, you have the, a bloodline that runs down from Adam of those who followed God. You can read it for yourself. Seth, and then you had like Enoch and Methuselah all the way down to Noah, and they believed God's word, the word, the, word, the light that they had. Uh, and then uh, you, you have uh, Abraham, and Abraham, God gives more revelation. He is giving. He is filling out. He's giving more detail. He is bringing more revelation to the table about who he is and what his plan is for the world. And he gave Abraham a promise. And he says, "I'll make a great nation of you, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed." And what does the Bible say? Abraham believed God, 
And what? It was counted to him as righteousness. You see? He believed what he, what the revelation that God had given to him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Moses came and they re, the Israelites received the law on Mount Sinai, which they were to believe and to obey. David came and God made a promise to David. And he said, one of the sons from your body will sit on your throne forever. Well, how does a person sit on a throne forever? Well, they have to live forever. What do we see? We see, if you read your Bible carefully, that over time, God is bringing clarity to what he's doing. But he does it little by little. Until, of course, when the fullness of time has come, what God, what God revealed in types and shadows in the Old Testament becomes clear realities in the New. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. That's what, the, that's what the New Testament says. Jesus is the one, is the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is the Davidic king who sits on the throne forever. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And so they believed in the knowledge of the Messiah that they had. But now that Christ has come, we are accountable for full knowledge of the full Messiah, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see that the Bible is necessary for salvation. Second, we see that the Bible is also necessary for maintaining spiritual life. The Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Jesus, uh, tempted by the devil, quotes Deuteronomy says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? <laughs> Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 46 and 47. Moses writes, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. Moses and Jesus understood that it was by the word that you live. You see it? When God created the universe, what did he do? He spoke. When it, says he, when it says he put life into man, what did he do? He breathed out of his mouth. And the man became a living being. And so we live by God's word. God's word is necessary for us to maintain a spiritual life. Food is not optional for the body. The word of God is not optional for the soul. If we... Starve our souls, they, they will shrivel up. But if we devour God's word in daily devotion and exercise it out in daily obedience, we will grow into mighty men and women of God who walk by the Spirit and magnify Christ with our lives. In other words, we cannot expect to grow spiritually if we neglect the word. But if we 
study the word and obey the word, we won't remain small. <laughs> the opposite is true as well. We will indeed grow. And so the Bible is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Next, the Bible is also necessary for knowledge of God's will. It's necessary for knowledge of God's will. Now, we do know some of God's will by general revelation. So we would say that this is special revelation. It's specific, given by God in words that people can understand in human language. But there is also general revelation. Uh, David says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. There are things that we can know about God that we never have to read the Bible for. But apart from the Bible, and, well, and even concerning God's will, we have on our hearts, as it were, because of the divine image stamped upon us, there is written on our consciences aspects of God's will, God's law. So regardless of where you go in the world, they will have moral laws and, and norms, social norms, that in, in, in many times will line up with the teaching of the Bible. Why is that the case? It's because God has stamped on us all the divine image. But without the Bible, we could never be certain, absolutely certain, concerning a particular issue. Why is that? That's because humans have an incredible knack for rationalizing sin away. It's an incredible knack. In fact, if you kind of follow the history, um, the 1800s was a time of kind of great, I don't know how to say it, optimism concerning human nature. And, you know, and even among Christians, the gospel people we were sending out missionaries and the gospel seemed to be really changing things, especially uh, in Europe and in America. And people kind of had this positive attitude towards, you know, humanity in general. Uh, and then World War I and II happened. And then people realized we're not as good as we think we are. Right? Uh, the, uh, the Nazis. They committed genocide against the Jews, the Holocaust, and uh, for, for, what, for what end? Well, uh, they're a lesser race. And they, they could convince and did convince people. German, Germany, by the way, was one of the most modern and uh, educated nations at the time. And the wool was pulled over their eyes. That's scary. So sin has distorted our reasoning such that we do not reason clearly. And often we will refuse to draw certain conclusions because we have other ideas, other agenda to pursue. And so the Bible is necessary for God's will. But it is not necessary for knowledge of God's existence and some things about his character. And this is important. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, Paul writes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is 
plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that every person who has the capacity to behold creation knows there's a God. That's what he's saying. Some have said that God doesn't believe in atheists. And that's, that's what they're talking about. That is, that God says that everybody knows that he exists. That everybody knows that he is real. And because of that, they are accountable to him. But, of course, because of ungodliness and unrighteousness, he says, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. In other words, they know it's true, but they refuse to believe it's true, so they suppress their knowledge of God. Nevertheless, the Bible says that they are without excuse. And this is everybody. This is everyone in the whole world. We, whether you ever hear of the gospel or not, we know enough about God to be accountable to him. I, I, I think I've tried to explain this before. We all, on our consciences, have a moral law written upon our hearts. If you never heard the gospel, if you never heard the commands of God, and God judged you by your own moral standard, did you keep the rules that you held other people to? You would be condemned. And so would I. So we, before God, he says, we're all accountable. We all are without excuse before him. And so through nature and through the knowledge of God that's written on our hearts, we are accountable to him. So there are some things we can know about God. Nevertheless, we need the gospel. We need the good news. And by the way, let me say this because this bothers some people. Some people talk about the man on the island and what about him? Will he be saved? This is what I believe in God's sovereignty. I believe that if there is someone anywhere who would believe the gospel if they heard it, God will let them hear. God will bring someone to hear it, to tell them the gospel. I really believe that. And so we don't have to be concerned about that. What we have to be concerned about is are we obeying and believing the light that we've been given? The Bible is necessary for salvation, for maintaining spiritual life, for knowledge of God's will. And finally, the Bible is necessary for a relationship with God. For a relationship with God. Now, of course, that's closely connected with our salvation. But it's a little bit different focus. I want you to think about this. A relationship requires some form of communication. Right? So, you know, there's a, there's a teenager, a, a boy, and he likes this girl. And, and he says, oh, that's my girlfriend. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Well, you know, you know... Um, well, what's she like? And you say, well, I don't know. I've never talked to her. <laughs> you would say, your relationship status isn't exactly what you think it is. What's the point? Relationship requires communication. Relationship requires communication. 
And Christianity, over and against many other religions, says that God is a personal God. That is, he's the, we're not Star Wars and we're not Jedis and God's not the Force, okay? Just kind of an impersonal power that you can tap into. That's not the Christian conception of God. God is a, a person. In fact, he is tri-personal. And this is utterly unique to Christianity, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three persons in one essence, one being, one God. That is that God is and forever has been and forever will be in relationship with himself. And the love that God the Father has for God the Son and that they have for God the Holy Spirit and vice versa is so great that it overflows out of the being of God into creation where he desires to share the love that he has within himself with his creatures. But love can only be mediated through relationship, and relationship can only be established through communication. And the only infallible communication that we have between us and God is the Bible, the Word of God. That is, listen, that is why, over and over, the Bible asserts that it's not just some ancient book. All right? We don't look at the Bible the same way uh, we look at the Iliad or, or these other ancient documents. We're saying that it's something totally different. The Bible itself testifies that uh, it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That is that the words may not change over 2,000 years. The words themselves they might, may not change but let me tell you, when you read this book, God speaks to you. It is a person speaking to a person when you read this book. We all know that's true because we've all been reading the Bible before and we've read a passage that we've read a thousand times. But for some reason, that morning when you read it, it cuts you to the heart. It speaks directly to your soul, or it provides a salve for a deep wound that you have. In other words, God takes these ancient words, but every day when someone opens their Bible and reads them, they come alive. And they speak. God speaks to you. That's what happens when we read God's Word. This is a great book, folks. <laughs> Just, you need to read it. So in conclusion, God has given us a divine, inerrant, infallible, and perhaps most importantly, a personal word from heaven, from God to you. And so as your pastor, I invite you to the banqueting table of the word of God. Won't you come and feast? <laughs> Feed your soul. Peek behind the veil as it were, to behold the risen Christ. So we need God's word, the necessity of the word, and God has made it clear so that we can have it, the clarity of God's word. So taste and see that the word is good. And, I, and, and as I close in a final appeal, 
I will just say, if you have any questions or concerns about anything, or if you don't know the Lord, the most important thing, I, I want you to come, you come here preaching, but the most important thing you could do is read the Bible. Because I believe when you do that, God will speak to you. And you will see him.